Welcome to the Federalist Outpost. You have to think that in 50 years, there's going to be a textbook somewhere that talks about the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago as a key political event in the next 10 years worth of political history. It, the reason for that is going to be that the Democrats here have overplayed a hand and have essentially gone all in on the bet on top of it. And you look at, at Trump's popularity, which has been waning in the past year and a half since he left, and you see Ron DeSantis and you see some other names starting to come up for the Republicans, and you see this very gradual shift away from Trumpism and the, the conservative right to a more moderate approach, but still well conservative, right? DeSantis is still well conservative. He's not a moderate, but he's a reasonable human being. He's not somebody who's far out on the wings talking about, you know, crazy conspiracy theories. He's somebody that's a little bit more of a return to a classic conservative approach. And then you go and you raid a former president's house while he's gone, mind you, and you're digging for records that may or may not exist that you know are there because you you talk to him about it. And he, he offered to give them to you before. He offered to let you go through them. You've seen them. But you go in and you raid his house as though it's some Colombian cartel that you're trying to bring down. You do it in full view of the public. You do it for, I mean, what was that? It's 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. I mean, that, that's a full work day. You got, you got everybody and their brother. There's 50 agents there. And you do it in full view of the public. Everybody knows about it. And it's dominating the news cycle. And it's going to dominate the news cycle for a week or so. And you have to think that it is a massive misstep because now people who were not sympathetic to Trump a week ago are starting to think, you know what, if, if they're so scared of this guy, Maybe there's something to him. Maybe there's a reason why they are terrified that Donald Trump gets reelected. And this concept isn't just out in the wind. It's not just something people are coming up with. The Democrats that are on mainstream media are running around saying, this is great. This is perfect. This is what we've been waiting for. You know, they keep saying that we're going to end up charging him with these criminal things. It's going to prevent him from being president again. At what point in time did the Democrats give up the ideological arguments and the reasonable petition to the people in order to get elected? I mean, this is the party that has been saying for the last 20 years that they win popular votes all the time and they don't have anything to worry about. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying that they're so worried about another candidate that they're going to run through his entire house digging for documents, which you know where they are, right? You've, you've, you hear these new reports saying that he had met with them in June, that the FBI knew there was a particular room where these records were being kept that were the subject of whether or not they were needed to go back to the National Archives, that the FBI had requested an additional lock be put on that room. But you're, you're digging through Melania's closet looking for more records and more evidence knowing full well where all the records were that you were looking for because they were in a room you told them about. And you're doing it under the, the pretenses that, oh, well, we have a warrant and there's a federal judge who's looked through this and we've got probable cause. And so it's legitimate, right? You see all those, those Democratic politicians come out and say, well, if this is such a travesty, why doesn't he release the warrant? Well, he can't release the warrant because he doesn't have a copy of it. It's sealed on top of that. So you can't just go on Pacer, which is, you know, where you normally get those records from. You can't go on Pacer and go pull it because it's sealed and nobody will show it to anybody. A reasonable, rational person is going to look at this and say, wow, 
This smacks of corruption, of political corruption, something that we haven't seen in the United States in a meaningful way, maybe ever, uh, at least not using the, the public domain, not using the, the different government functionaries. But this is something that is such a strong play that if it blows up in your face, not only did it just elevate the guy you're trying to eliminate, it may have shot your own party in the foot for a very long period of time, and it's probably going to result in some criminal charges being brought against you later, right? Because politics is a pendulum, and and particularly in the last 20, 22 years. I mean, you look back and you say, okay, well, there's always been massive political fights, and this this give and take has always been there. There's always been this divide, but I don't I don't think it's been this severe. Uh, and I don't think it's been this severe since the late 1700s, at give or take the Civil War. Obviously, it's very, very severe when you fight a civil war. But as far as keeping a union intact, the last time there was this much discord was when they were trying to figure out what to do in the creation of the country. And you, you go all the way back to the Federalist Papers and the founding of um, the, well, at least the signing of the Constitution, the way that we have it now. And you say, OK, at that point in time, there are very different ideologies that were competing for one and another and, and trying to get the national populace to sign off. And we haven't had these types of arguments about who we are, what our identity is as a nation in a meaningful way since then. But now we've got this extremely polarized population that if you're conservative, you're only hanging out with your conservative friends now because your liberal friends unfollowed you on Facebook like five years ago. And if you're liberal, you absolutely hate anybody that voted for Trump, regardless of why they voted for Trump. Oh, it's still, you know, you're a Trumpist and all that stuff. And you you just started to see some of those fences being mended in the past six months to a year. And now they're going to be gone. And now you're in this position where you have, have essentially created the monster you were trying to avoid. And you've started the pendulum back the other direction, right? So the first pendulum, the, the biggest push of the pendulum happens shortly after 2008. Barack Obama comes in and he does the National Health Care Act, the Obamacare, and that starts pushing the pendulum a little bit further. I mean, we've been arguing about Roe v. Wade for 30, 40 years at that point, but for the most part, the country is moderate. It just sort of shifts side to side. There's always a little bit of rocking, but the pendulum starts getting pushed when there's big government that starts telling you how to live your life. And there's there's some pushback, right? You get the Tea Party, you get uh, a little bit more of an aggressive conservative side of the political aisle. And then as Obama continues through his tenure and somehow wins his second term, it becomes a little more radical on the right. And, and as that happens, you start seeing a little bit more of a right-leaning Republican Party that results in Donald Trump being named the 2016 presidential candidate. And Trump wins. And so now you've got, once Trump wins, you've got that pendulum swinging back the other direction. And you spend those four years where all the liberals are spending all their time hating on anybody who's conservative, anybody who's associated with Trump. I mean, the, the word racism is thrown out at every opportunity, misogynistic, everything. The vehemence that exists from 2016 to 2020 is insane. And you see this pendulum swing the, the conservative side and Trump starts going after some of these, these liberal strongholds. And then all of a sudden, 2020 comes around, Trump loses an election, and the first thing out the gate that the Democrats do is to immediately target all of the conservative positions and start attacking them using what had not been previously used before with essentially nuclear options, where you're trying to add Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia to 
uh, the country, which would change the balance of power in the Senate for a long period of time, maybe, depending on how Puerto Rico ends up voting. But it would change the balance of the power in the Senate. It would add a little bit more firepower to the Democrats in the House. And you start seeing that the gradual trimming of personal freedoms, right? I mean, we had a lot of trimming with COVID and, and a lot of fighting, particularly in the liberal states where you have California and New York that are you know, locking people down and you're wearing masks for forever. And essentially, you've got Big Brother over your shoulder at every single moment of the day. But the Democrats continue that in 2021 once Biden takes control. And they're getting rid of gas pipelines and they're doing everything that they can. All these liberal token positions, they're pushing on and they're pushing hard. And so you get a little bit of pushback from the conservatives and you start to see the pendulum swinging back towards the conservatives because the, the liberals are pushing way too hard, way too fast. And now here we are where they've, they've essentially thrown a can of gasoline on the fire by going into Trump's house, looking for documents, which by the way, there's no way that every president in the past 30 years, if not more, hasn't left the White House with some document that's qualified as confidential or, or you know, top secret or whatever it is. There's probably a lot of that stuff. And part of it is you move out of the White House in a hurry. Part of it is there's boxes of paper everywhere still at that point. There's, there's probably server files everywhere under the sun. I mean, you saw all the Hillary Clinton stuff from 2015-2016. She had a mountain of this stuff. But not, this never ends in any level of criminal charges. I mean, Hillary Clinton's the best example. She knew she had the servers. She knew she had the emails. She knew all this stuff was top secret. Nobody charged her. Nothing came of that. She didn't go to prison. I mean, even Trump was saying, lock her up, lock her up. Well, that never happened. And, you know, FBI cleared her, which FBI is clearly a political player at this point. But none of that ever happens. And the likelihood is, is that if somebody brings charges against Trump now, it's probably not going to go anywhere. And it's not going to go anywhere because the charges aren't serious enough for them to actually get him. And because they're really not after these boxes. They don't care. If, if they're after the boxes of secret materials, they're not searching Melania's closet for him, right? They're going after whatever dirt they can find. This, this raid is an attempt to accidentally discover something bigger, right? And they've been looking for this with Trump since 2016. The first thing I thought of when I got the little news announcement on my cell phone that, you know, pops up every so often is those a text message. So you check your cell phone thinking it's somebody that you like that's messaging you and instead it's Yahoo News or whoever else telling you something you don't really care about. But so I see this thing and, you know, FBI raids Mar-a-Lago and you think, oh, <laughs> all right. So uh, I guess we're going to open this can of worms. But I immediately start thinking about the French Revolution again, right? Because it, France is probably the best comparison for us when you talk politics. Their revolution happened shortly after our revolution. They use some of the same sources for their constitution. They use some of the same theories about, you know, individual liberty. But it goes very far to the left and not just like, you know, a little bit liberal because, it, you know, democracy was liberal at the time. It Not just a little bit to the left. It goes very far to the left. You get a group of leftists that control the legislative assembly for the French, which was later, I think it's a national committee later, but the liberals are in control. They have almost a two to one majority over the conservatives. And as time passes after the French revolution starts, 
you see that you've got three different groups. You, you've got the moderates, and there's a good number of moderates, moderate, liberal, liberal, moderate conservatives. You've got some people on the wings. You've got a bigger portion, though, of the extreme liberals on the left wing inside of the national or the legislative assembly or national convention. And they're trying to unify the country. They're, this is the 1790s. They have a little bit of trouble unifying the country. And when the liberals lose the thought arguments, right? They, they can't manage to express themselves in such a way to convince the remainder of the populace that they should be in agreement with how the liberals want to run it. The liberals decide in the name of saving the nation, unifying the nation, that they need to create the Committee of Public Safety, which is headed by Robespierre. Now, the Committee of Public Safety goes on this run of arrests, and eventually executions that are all done in the name of unifying the nation and protecting the nation from what's effectively counter-revolutionaries or from these hostile elements on the right that could conceivably undermine society again. Over the course of about three years, probably a little bit less, but over the course of about three years, the Committee of Public Safety executes more than 41,000 people. The 16,000 people are, are guillotine, so their heads are chopped off. You know, the, the difference there, 25,000 or so, are executed via hangings. And essentially what had happened was is they had trimmed back a bunch of, of personal liberties and then started chasing anybody with a public political persuasion other than what the revolutionaries wanted to hear. And Robespierre tries desperately to tie his movement to some sort of deeper moral conviction. We're doing this and it's hard work. And Robespierre is the guy who originally was against the death penalty and later votes for the execution of King Louis and says, you know, this is the reason uh, why we have to bring back these death penalties that I abhor so much is we've, we've got to rid ourselves of this enemy that's inside of our borders. And so he executes all these people, 41,000 people, until eventually the moderates stand up, which again, I, that my long-running theory is the best work gets done by moderates. The moderates stand up and say, this is, this is stupid. You're, you're killing everybody. And we're tired of it because you know we're going to be next tomorrow. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the 1950s or 1940s, 1930s of the USSR. They're just, they're whacking anybody that they can because they disagree with them and because they don't want to bother to win the intellectual argument at this point. They just want to kill them right? Stalin, no man, no problem. And Robespierre is the same, same type of guy. So he's killing everybody. The moderates come in. There's a conspiracy against Robespierre and Robespierre finds himself on the guillotine, gets executed. The committee for public safety gets neutered by the moderates 20 minutes later, right? And so that, that thing goes away. And you see this swing back the other direction though. You see a conservative swing where the conservatives start going after the liberals that had been on Robespierre's uh, wings and supporting him and everything that he had done. And so then they start getting persecuted. Well, there's a liberal response to that, as you expect. And the liberals come back in. And who but Napoleon Bonaparte ends up the benefit of this? The liberals eventually install Napoleon as what is a dictator and then turns into a monarch. He's Emperor Napoleon. From that point on, every 10 to 15 years or so, there is another French Revolution as the pendulum swings forward and backwards. Napoleon gets defeated in 1814. Then you have the Bourbon Restoration, which is a series of conservatives that go and put a new king in. The king 
lives his life. The first king they install dies 1824. He gets replaced by Charles X, who is incredibly conservative and wants to go back to a total monarchy. And then there's a July revolution in 1830. And we start all over again. And the pendulum swings back. And then that next monarchy goes from 1830 to 1848. It gets too conservative. And so then there's a liberal revolution that installs yet another Napoleon, Napoleon III, who runs the country, does fairly well for himself, but runs the country until the Franco-Prussian War, the, the French and the Prussians, or later the Germans, goes very poorly, and the Prussians trounce the French. And that's, that's the end of the, the pendulum swinging back and forth, for the most part. You still have, again, the side-to-side movement you should reasonably expect in, in any political system that has two sides. But the pendulum takes 80 years to stop swinging. And you can see these periods of times where it starts swinging faster. And it's usually because something stupid has happened. And frequently, it is one of the wings or another going way too far with what they do. Right? Robespierre and the liberals are executing everybody. The moderates step in. Then you get the conservatives after that to go after all the liberals. The moderates step in. Then you get the, the liberals that step in after the moderates sort of put an end to that. You get Napoleon. You move on. So looking at where we are in American history, you got to wonder, this is the pendulum swinging back. Where does the pendulum stop? What do you have to do to get it to stop swinging? Right? Because the Democrats do this to Trump. They're probably going to bring charges. I don't know what they're going to bring charges on. They're going to they're bring charges. In the meantime, as Marco Rubio said, they're going to paint everybody as some sort of radical that's coming out in support of Trump that's dangerous, right? They're going to start labeling people as dangerous. They're going to start taking away personal freedoms to express beliefs that are pro-conservative or pro-Trump. And the harder they crack down, the further that pendulum swings to the left, the further it has to swing all the way back to the right, the more likely it is the moderates step in, which I have long said is likely to be what ends this to some degree or another, is the moderates step in, they're going to vote out the Democrats in November. And then the Republicans that take over are going to be more radical than they would have been before this raid. And those Republicans are going to go too far the other direction. And then the moderates are going to have to step in eventually after that and try to bring the pendulum back. But you can't stop it in the middle. The only things in all of history that stop the internal fights, whether that's in the United States or overseas, the only thing that stops a pendulum is a war. Maybe that's a civil war. You know, that's how our pendulum stopped swinging in the 1860s. Maybe it's a world war. That's how the pendulum stopped swinging for a lot of countries in 1914 and again in 1939, 1940. But you have to have an external enemy. That's the only thing that stops the pendulum. Because unless you've got enough moderates who are willing to stand up and say, no, no, we're done. We're not doing this anymore then you never manage to put enough resistance up to keep the pendulum from swinging too far the other direction. And as we've seen, as, as France has taught us in, in history, you can't expect the moderates to have enough staying power and enough strength to stop it other than to keep it from swinging any further to the left or any further to the right than the extremes already are. And even still, the moderates don't step in until it's too late. So looking at Mar-a-Lago, the logical response here, Trump's going to play the victim card because he's been 
successful at that in the last six years. He's going to play the victim card. It's going to go well for him. He's going to get a bunch of people who wouldn't have voted for him to vote for him over DeSantis. He's going to scare away a huge portion of what would have been a pretty decent candidate pool in 2024 for the Republicans. And you're going to be looking at an almost Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders-like 2016 primary for the Republicans. And the moderates aren't going to be okay with Joe Biden, who, I mean, I, I saw that video of him the other day. I don't know if you've seen it or not. There's a video of Joe who was getting his hand shook by Chuck Schumer right after they passed this massive spending bill. And it, the, Schumer goes straight to Biden, shakes Biden's hand, and then starts shaking everybody else on the, the stage's hand. And within 10 seconds of shaking Biden's hand, Biden has already forgotten that Schumer has done so. And he stands there and he holds his hand out, staring at the guy, waiting for his hand to get shook. When Schumer turns back to the microphone and starts talking again, Biden looks crestfallen that he didn't get a handshake. Biden has pudding for brains at the moment and probably always will because, uh, you know, you're not getting a lot better after 80. But you're going to have a bunch of moderates that are tired of Biden because they can't trust him because he doesn't do anything logical because he's, he's knee deep in corruption. I mean, if you really look at this stuff with Hunter, if any of it is true, and there was a quid pro, quid pro quo between Biden and the Chinese or Biden and the Ukrainians or Biden and anybody, it, there's, there's going to be some questions about his intent. And you get the war with Ukraine. That's a great example of, of you know, why is Biden supporting? Is he supporting because he believes in the fight against Russia or is it? Is he supporting it because he's got financial interest? I don't know. We don't know. We may never know. But there's certainly enough question out there that the moderates are going to be tired of that. They don't want to hear any more about the climate change stuff because at the end of the day, none of the proposals to fix climate change are ever actually going to go anywhere. And they never have. They haven't gone anywhere since the 90s. Every time the, the Democrats pass a bill and they say this is going to help global warming, two years later, they're back on the fence post saying, Global warming's coming. It's even worse than it was before. And so people are going to say, well, you didn't make any progress on it. So we're not voting for you about it because we don't, we don't think you're going to do anything. And this, this social spending bill that they just passed is going to add 87,000 IRS enforcement officers. Well, these guys and girls are going to get hired over the next 12 months. And by the time you get towards the 2024 election, these people are going to be conducting audits of you, your grandmother, and everybody you know. Are you going to go out and vote for the political party that gave those people jobs to come harass you? Hell no, you're not going to. Why would you? Right? You're not going to vote for somebody who's going to come harass you and then take your money. You're going to go back to the conservatives. And the only guy on the ballot for the conservatives is going to be Trump. Because you're not voting for a third party. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of effort. So the Democrats hand Trump not only the nomination, probably, unless Trump does something profoundly stupid between here and there, which we can't rule out. They hand him the nomination and they hand him a good reason to run. Because all he has to do now is not get up there and say, I'm running again because I should be president because I'm smart and I'm great. He's going to get up there and he's going to say, I'm going to run because the work that I started to do trying to drain the swamp clearly isn't done. And he's right. You can't argue with it. What kind of FBI raid on a former president's house is going to go well the way that it was conducted? They didn't raid Hillary Clinton. They didn't raid, you know, hundreds of other people they probably should have raided. But they raided Trump. They raided every person that was associated with Trump, by the way. I mean, every time the FBI goes to make an arrest of somebody who is involved with the Trump administration, you got cameras there. It's a full production set. You got 100 tactical gear wearing FBI agents coming to take some 65 year old man who's not going to put up a fight. I mean, every one of those things is a made for TV production. 
people aren't going to like that. It's Robespierre. It, it's Robespierre, and it's always going to be Robespierre. When you take any sort of law enforcement well past its reasonable bounds, that's what half of those protests in 2020 were about, was unreasonable utilization of law enforcement and, and, and essentially prosecution. People don't like it. So you may have handed them the victory in 2024, and then you're going to see the pendulum swing the other direction. And when Trump comes in and he says, I'm going to clean the swamp this time, if he's not going for the FBI on day one, I don't know what he's doing, but I, I think he probably goes for the FBI on day one. And you, you're going to see a mass purge. And you see it in some of the, the post-French Revolution monarchies, particularly after the July Revolution, which is that 1830s stretch to 1848. You see this, this concern in the mid-1830s by the French monarchy that maybe we need to purge all of these radical leftists from the government, from being able to meet freely. You know, they, they go in, at the time, these, these far left-wing liberals were called, calling themselves Republicans. So they go in, they end the Republican clubs, they go to the military, they purge the military, and they essentially try to erase the liberals from society. And so you've got the conservatives going against the liberals on this. And eventually they take it too far and you end up with yet another revolution. And, and that's what comes of, of 2024, because either way, no matter how 2024 shakes out, realistically, assuming Biden runs, 2028 is going to have a different president. So you're either speeding up the, the swing of the pendulum, which may not actually curtail how far it goes. It may just mean it goes that way faster. But you're looking at 2024 going to a conservative, probably Trump. You're looking at 2028 being a potential of the pendulum swinging back because Trump can't run again. And so you're going to have DeSantis if DeSantis is still on the national stage in six years. You're going to have somebody else, Christy Nome, you know, somebody else that comes up there that's going to want to carry on that torch. And the American public will deal with that for a little bit. And then you get the pendulum swinging back and you're going to have a more radical 2028 election or 2032 election. And it's just going to continue. I mean, I, I've talked to some older people, you know, people who can remember the 60s and the 70s politics meaningfully. And they, they always tell you, no, 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 it's never been this bad. I don't remember. I mean, you know, you had some Carter stuff. Nobody liked Carter. You had some Nixon stuff. Nobody liked Nixon. You had some Kennedy stuff because there's some corruption in that, that little stretch of time where, you know, he was president. But they can't tell you how this ends because they've never seen this before. And if it's the same pendulum that swings back and forth for the French, it may not end for, you know, I mean, 80 years for the French. It may not end until there's a war. And I think that somebody in a position of power probably knows that. Uh, you know, you, you remember the movie Wag the Dog, I think it was Robert De Niro, uh, late 90s, and Billy Crystal, I think. But uh, Robert De Niro is essentially a CIA, and, and they're creating a fake war in order to be able to unify political sentiment. Well, at some point in time, real war is the only thing that somebody's going to think is a reasonable answer to that. And there's there's more opportunities out there than there's been in the last 30 years, right? I mean, Russia has given everybody all the provocation they need to jump in. Nobody has, thank God, uh, because that would turn into a world war overnight. Still hope the Ukrainians kick their butts because they deserve it, and Putin is a dictator and all of that. But the Chinese, the Chinese are dumb enough to go across the Taiwan Strait. You, you have to think that that may be that bridge too far, at least in the next three or four years. And until we get microchips manufactured stateside and they're our primary supplier, you can't let China take Taiwan. You just can't. So there's a world war opportunity. 
there's there's always something floating around out there. But China and Russia are always going to present an opportunity, and it it's going to be either eighty years of pendulum, or some idiot that decides that war is a better idea to try to unify us. So I I look at Mar-a-Lago, I worry about it. I worry about it from a legal standpoint because I think it's it's political influence on a law enforcement agency. Whatever shreds of credibility the FBI used to have are gone. I remember sitting in a meeting with an assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, it's been seven years ago. And we're talking off the cuff because um, I'm obviously representing private parties and he's representing the government. We're, we're talking about other stuff. And, and he makes a comment to uh, all the people sitting in the room. It's more than just me and him, but there's, there's a couple other people sitting in the room. And he says, you know, it, it's, I'm having a lot of trouble with the way that the public is treating the FBI lately. And this is 2015, 2016. And he says, it, it's making it hard for us to get convictions. And I said, what are you talking about? You know, is your job is to, to go out there and create convictions, right? You're, you're going to put together your case. You're going to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt that somebody's done something wrong. That, that's your job. What do you mean making it hard? It should be hard. The burden of proof is on the government. And he says, no, it, the problem is, is that the FBI is losing its credibility, People are looking at the FBI and they're saying, well, I don't know that we can trust him. And he, his position was it's fake news or it's misinformation. And this is well before fake news and misinformation are catchphrases. But that's essentially what he's saying is all this information about the FBI. It's so unfair. They're doing a great job. And all they're doing is out there being law enforcement. Well, it's been six years, seven years since that happened. And the FBI has eroded its position with the public at every opportunity. Now, they're not viewed as impartial. You have that, that whole scandal with Governor Whitmer and that, that kidnapping plot that it turns out was essentially masterminded by the FBI. Whoops. Uh, you've got the Russia hoax thing, which turned out to be flagrantly not true. You have a profound number of arrests from January 6th, which nobody really talks about what's going on with that. But essentially that's a trespass charge. Either you're bringing a trespassing charge or you're bringing a treason charge. Right. And th those, those are handled very differently. Trespass, uh, you know, six months misdemeanor. If, if you're saying these people are committing treason, that's a whole different charge, but you don't see treason charges coming out of any of the January 6th stuff. Don't know why. Cause if that's what happened, they should be charging them with treason, but whatever it is that they're doing with the January 6th people is viewed to be at least suspect because they don't talk about it. Some of these guys and girls spend an extended period of time in jail. Nobody really knows why. They're in solitary. Nobody really knows why. But there's no credibility there. Uh, and certainly if you're conservative, you look at that kind of sideways and you say, what's going on? You look at all of the essentially terroristic acts that occurred during the summer of 2020. I mean, you, you had federal properties that are vandalized. You had a lot of stuff that got burned down. You had some conspiracies to do some things on the liberal side on Antifa and FBI doesn't do anything about that. Uh, Hunter Biden and the whole, Hey, we took the laptop. It's probably fake. Oh wait, no, it's real, but we're not going to do anything about it. And the fact that they tanked that prosecution, it, they just, they don't have any credibility left. They have absolutely blown it away. And this is probably, Mar-a-Lago is probably going to be the last straw. Whoever comes in that's conservative next has to reform the FBI because there's, there's no way you can't. Because now, after you leave office, you have to worry about whether or not these guys and girls are going to come knock on your door. 
And if you're Biden, I'd be worried about it. I mean, maybe not Joe himself, because he's going to be in an old folks home after this. But but if you're Biden's family, you got to be worried because you know that pendulum is going to swing back. And when it swings back, the FBI isn't going to be raiding Trump's house next. They're going to be raiding your house. And if you're the Bidens, you probably got a lot to hide. If you're the Clintons, you got a lot to hide. But this nuclear war approach to essentially politicizing law enforcement is going to be viewed and responded to in kind by the right. And we're going to end up with a bunch of politicians who are terrified of criminal prosecutions afterwards. And the left is the one that decided to pull this punch first. So I don't know where this ends. Is it a travesty? Yeah, it's a travesty. You have to think, though. As I said in the beginning, you got to think that this ends up in a history book as a significant contributing factor to whatever happens next. Just a quick take is an appalling thing. You, you look at that. If they don't have any meaningful criminal prosecutions that come out of that raid of Mar-a-Lago, then it, this is a travesty and there's no way to fix it. They're probably going to charge something because at this point they have to. It's not likely to stand. It's probably only going to serve as fundraising money for Trump. And they're handing Trump the 2024 election almost uncontested. So thanks for listening. If you've got comments, I'm always happy to hear them. Obviously, we're on Twitter, you know, usually trolling around where we can. Um, but we're always appreciative of comments and, and thoughts. Uh, we hope you listen to us next time. Thanks. Follow the Federalist Outpost on Twitter, Gitter, and Substack.